You are sick and I am just exhausted. And amount of coffee that I need is more. Let me ask you this. Let yeah. me ask you this. I just want to clear something up here because you're like one of my American friends. Uh-huh. Element 13 on the periodic table, symbol AL. I was, I was going to say, you don't need to tell me the symbol. Element 13 yeah. is, is aluminum. Aluminum? Mm-hmm. You mean aluminium? <sighs> are, you, on, are, you, are you really going to start this argument? Are you really going to start this argument? Uh, do you know what? Do you know what the funny thing is? I need to pull. I need to pull up some Google stuff right now. I, go no, ahead. no, no, yeah. no, no. You don't need to. Pull no, anything. no. I do. I certainly do. But keep you keep talking. I'm going to do a little little live research right now. Yeah, go ahead. I am a. I am across this issue. I actually thought you were going to be in the aluminium camp on this. Why on earth would you think that? I don't know. I just thought. I, that's just what I thought. I thought. I know. I know. A lot of Americans say aluminum. Mm-hmm. I thought you were going to, um, I don't know, it's what I thought would happen. But no, you called it aluminum. Tell me your live research or your position or whatever. Well, I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to find out because I thought that there was, uh, there was some chemistry organization that didn't, that's like yes. in charge of the pronunciation I things. IUPAC, the International oh. Union of Applied and Pure Chemistry. This is, you're talking to the guy that makes periodic videos, man. I, if I, you pack sneeze, I make a video. <laughs> All right, then you, because t- I'm, I'm trying to pull it up here because I couldn't yeah. remember which way they went on this. Yeah, it was 1990 uh-huh. that they basically said it's aluminium, right? That was uh-huh. the deal. And they also, uh, I think, went, changed the spelling on cesium and sulfur. And there was this kind of, I think there was a bit of a deal where they, where they gave one to the Americans and the Americans gave some to the Europeans. And, and the, the Europeans did the right thing and took on the oh, American side of the deal. Uh-huh. And then the Americans just said, nah, we're sticking <laughs> with aluminum. We don't care. And about two or three years later, IUPAC folded like a deck of cards <laughs> and, said, oh, and said, oh, okay, you can have both. Aluminium is still the first preference. It's still how they write it on their official periodic table. But they have a little footnote saying, some people also say aluminum, meaning Americans who renege on deals. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's the passive-aggressive some people. Wikipedia is sometimes very good at the, at the super passive-aggressive way of phrasing something. They're like, oh, we're neutral. We're just passively-aggressively neutral. I'm looking at this. I thought there was something more recent than that, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your word for it. Well, it's aluminium week on periodic videos, and I'm doing millions of videos about them, so don't... Don't go throwing a spatter in my works now. Well, if it, if it, I don't know if this makes you feel better or if it makes you feel worse, but when I taught here in the UK, I would always say aluminium. I would never say aluminum because it was just far too distracting for the students to hear apparently what is the hilarious American pronunciation. So I, I would say aluminium and never a comment. So I, I, I adopted that while I was here teaching. But if I'm just saying it in normal speech, it's going to be aluminum. You did have a little minor victory, though, in my house today. Oh, yeah? Because, um, yeah, my, my sister has started listening to all the Hello Internets, and she's really into it, uh, which was surprising, but yeah. nice, because uh-huh. I'm sure she doesn't watch my videos or anything. But anyway, uh-huh. she started listening. She says she enjoys it. So we're having a chat, and then I said, oh, I've got something else I want to show you. We were talking on Skype, and... Um, I went and got this periodic table that mm-hmm. has just been sent to me by my high school chemistry teacher from Australia. Mm-hmm. And it was the periodic table that was up on the wall of my classroom when I was a student mm-hmm. that like inspired my interest in chemistry. And it's this huge, huge old, you know, outdated, dusty old thing. But 
you know, it's a great piece of memorabilia. And I pulled it out and said, look at this. Look what's been sent to me really proudly. And she just went, more rubbish for your mausoleum there. <laughs> That's great. She was, she, I know. She was, she was, which is ridiculous because her house is full of stuff. But anyway, <laughs> she was on your side there. So I like that she called it your mausoleum. That is great. That is right. that is really good. <laughs> Could yeah. we uh, ballpark your age based on how many elements are on that periodic table? I don't know the rate at which elements have been discovered over the past several decades, but where does uh, where does that periodic table stop? You must have it framed somewhere by now. No, no, it's it's next to my desk. They rolled up. Hang on, let me see if I can unroll a boy. Yeah. Uh, oh, all right, I've got it. Here we go. It's massive. This is actually really hard to do. Uh, we need a picture of this for the show notes in the future. Yeah, well, I actually made a video about it because when I went to Australia, it was still up in the class. It was still up in the classroom, uh-huh. and I went there with the professor from Periodic Videos, and we said, "Look, there's the periodic table that inspired the website and the videos," and it was all very lovely. Mm-hmm. And now, all this time later, he's actually sent it to me. Hmm. I was hoping they'd keep it up there and maybe put like one of those little blue plaques underneath it and say, "This oh, is where yes. Brady, Brady Howard went to school and stuff." Mm-hmm. But no, no, they've basically gotten rid of it, yeah. dumped it on me. That's exactly it. They knew who would accept it gratefully. Well, element 104 is not even named here, so. Oh wow. Okay. So uh, 104 is. Oh god, can I remember? Is it? Uh, oh shoot. Rufinium, something like that. What is it? I don't know. It, it ends in am, but you'll probably end it with um because you're American. Yeah, I don't know. Uh... Anyway, there you go. More tat for my house. But oh, wait, wait, wait. So, it's... so it has 104, but 104 is not named. Is yeah, that right. It's still got that Latin naming convention. Yeah. So. Hmm. Uh, it actually stops. Uh, it stops at 106. But 106 is the unonyxium. It's got the UUH as well. So, if you want to know the year, I'll just look. There'll be a year written on it somewhere. Oh, God. It's Rutherford Fordium. I cannot believe I couldn't remember that. That is disappointing. Why are you disappointed? I wouldn't have thought you'd like be really into the periodic table. Uh, okay. I will tell you yet another story of, of me just being a terrible person, then, I guess, which goes along with this. Um, <laughs> I, had a, I had a friend uh, in college who I was, I was somewhat competitive with. And uh, she was a chemistry major and I was a physics major. And simply to irritate her, I memorized all of the names of all of the elements uh, and the, um, their atomic number and their positions in the periodic table. I was trying to drive home, of course, like a, like a physics major would, the point that, oh, chemistry is just stamp collecting. Like I can spend a few days and memorize this thing and it's, oh, I basically know all there is to know about your subject. But I have a, I have a whole flashcard system that, that I keep uh, up to date. I always I like to put little facts and things in it. And that, that periodic table, the information is still in my uh, flashcard system to this day. So I can usually, not as well as I did back in the day, but I can usually uh, know the name of an element given the atomic number of the element. Did you watch, do you watch the TV show Pointless? I do not. It's a, I won't bore you with the details of the show, but the idea of the show is to no answers to questions to which there are multiple answers, like, mm-hmm. you know, elements on the periodic table, but to pick the most obscure possible answer. Mm-hmm. So the idea is to, is not just to get it right, but to get it right in a way that no one else would get it right. And they do a poll of 100 people and that you've got to find the answer that no one else said, which is still correct. 
don't know. Um, I don't know. Is this like reverse family feud? I don't entirely understand this premise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually that's not a bad way to put it. Yeah, but but it still has to be factually correct. So okay, you you want the answer that is factually correct that the fewest number of people give. Yeah, and if okay. no one gave it, then that answer is considered pointless, and that's like that's like you know that's the huge. Oh, uh, okay. Tip. So that's the big win. Nobody yeah. else said this. It is, but it is still correct. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's an, so I like this give, premise. That's interesting. Yeah. So to give you an example, that was just on the other day. I was watching it the other day, and I wasn't doing very well. But then, sort of the grand finale for the big jackpot, uh, they had five areas they could choose between, and one of them was chemistry. Mm-hmm. One of the women on the show really fancied herself as a bit of a science expert, and had been talking herself up as this real science guru through the show. Mm-hmm. So she said, "We're going to do chemistry." but with, with supreme confidence. So mm-hmm. I thought, oh, well, this is going to be good. And then the question was, name an element on the periodic table for which its symbol is also the first two letters of the element's name, which is, you know. Oh, so okay. You, okay, yeah, right. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. it took a second for my brain to parse, but yeah, yeah I see what you're yeah. saying, yeah. So, so like helium has right. the symbol H-E, and it's that's also the first two letters of helium. Right. So Xenon? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there, there are quite a few of them. Hmm. Uh, so the idea was to come up with one that, you know, no one else would think of. Oh, that's why so I was trying I was, to pick Xenon there. That's my. That's the fastest one I can come up with that probably the fewest number of people would guess. Uh, I think, I can't remember what ones I was fancying. But anyway, so I, I was reeling off a whole bunch that I thought were likely. And then she, she decided, she, and she was allowed to name three. And one of them had to be completely pointless to win the jackpot. Mm-hmm. It had to be no one else had said it. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, let's see. Let's see what she names. And the ones she named were plutonium. So wrong answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the other one she named was boron, which was just is just B. So she, <laughs> but then, but then that's great. The, There's not even yeah. two letters. <laughs> no. no, 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 no. It gets better. The piece de resistance and her one that she thought was most likely to be correct, so she made it her like banker, mm-hmm. was unobtainium. Oh God. I know. And this was the one who said, "I really want to do a science category because you know, I know my science," and like leapt at the chance to do chemistry. She had three options. I uh, unobtainium, unobtainium. Oh God, I was pretty disappointed. I hate James Cameron so much for putting unobtainium in Avatar. It just that, it was bad. That was really that was bad. bad. That was really bad. I agree. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I just you, I have to explain this just briefly to anyone on the internet who happens to be listening and who made it all the way through Avatar. But unobtainium was a a, a science fiction term just to refer to some kind of material which is not possible to actually make. So it was a, it was a generic classification. So uh, like the, uh, the material in the ring world books that those worlds are made of, you could say, oh, that is an unobtainium because it's an incredibly light, super strong metal that can't possibly exist. And then for, for Cameron to actually have the metal that they're going after in the movie called unobtainium is just so distracting there were so many things in that movie that I hated, but that one really, really ground my gears. It would be like having something in a movie that the characters are, are going after that is called the MacGuffin. Oh, we are trying to find the <laughs> MacGuffin, right? It's like only the first movie that did the MacGuffin that created the term MacGuffin is allowed to do that. You in your subsequent movies can't just call something a MacGuffin without being incredibly distracting. 
That movie made me furious for very many reasons. Papyrus subtitles being one of them as well. But the unobtainium <laughs> particularly was just like, I cannot believe that. It's just make up a new name. This is the laziest, most awful, distracting thing you could possibly do. That movie's dating badly too. When it came out, like I didn't, I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it, and I, I saw it at the IMAX, it so and much. I, th- I thought it's pretty impressive. You know, it's got its flaws, but it was pretty impressive to look at. And I watched it again the other day because I stumbled over it on the telly, mm. and it's it's looking really poor these days. Like it, time has not been kind to it. Mm-hmm. Good, good. <laughs> How many stars? How many stars are you giving it? No stars. I give it no <laughs> stars. No stars. No stars. So, any more follow-up? Well, can I just tell you one more thing about Avatar, actually? Can I just... No. No. no yeah, of course you can. Go <laughs> okay, on. good. You know what I hate most about that? The ending of that movie drives me crazy. And sometimes I just remember the ending of that movie and it makes me angry. Because I think, okay, okay. This spacefaring civilization has, you know is coming into conflict with basically people with no technology whatsoever. And I can understand the notion that maybe under highly specific circumstances, the natives can win a ground war on this planet. Sure, whatever. I'll let that slide. But the final scene... The Ewoks did it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. Like that's. I'll give it to the Ewoks. Fine. You know the terrain. Those at-ats can be tripped up quite easily with some string. Fine, fine. I'll let that go, right? (laughs) But... In Star Wars, like the whole empire, it crumbles. This whole system is gone. No, in Avatar, the locals are loading the invaders back onto their spaceships, right? Their <laughs> spaceships, presumably, heavily armed, yeah, man. to like to like take off and to go into space. And the whole opening premise of that movie is that they're coming from Earth because there's some unspecified huge problem on Earth. People are dying, so they need this unobtainium. It's incredibly expensive. It's hugely valuable. They're not just going to go home, right? They're not just going to go back to Earth and be like, well, sorry, everybody. Right? You know, we couldn't remove that tree from its particular location, and we know billions of people have to die, but they did fight us off with sticks on the ground. It's just, oh, God, I cannot stand that. Spaceships. Spaceships. Ah. Oh. Sorry. It just, it really, it it makes me angry. I hate that movie weren't, so much. Weren't they mainly AT-STs that the um, Ewoks were taking out more you know, than the AT-80s? You know what the terrible thing is? As soon as I said it, I realized it was the wrong designation because, yeah, the AT-ATs are the four-legged versions and the yeah, AT-STs are the two-legged you, versions. You don't muck around with the The only Star shot, I think, of AT-ATs in the final movie is uh, is there's a shot of them kind of patrolling the base but it's, yeah, it's when, like, Luke, when Luke gets brought handed yeah. over to Darth Vader, you see one. Yeah, yeah. There's like an ad ad in the lower left hand side of the screen. But uh, yeah. yeah, no. I, as soon as I said it, I, I regretted it and I knew it was wrong. But I thought I can't derail myself at this very moment. But I am glad well, you look, picked it up on. I picked I've up saved on us. I've saved us a good twenty minutes in follow up <laughs> next week. <laughs> you have. You have. <laughs> we would have gotten emails, and I would. And you know what? That's the kind of like the kind of person who could pick up on that. I appreciate that if you realize it's, it's the wrong designation. So. Yeah, I, I accept, like, you know, with on Facebook with my friends and stuff, if people make, you know, spelling mistakes or typos or get commas or apostrophes wrong, you know, you let that stuff go. Mm-hmm. But when friends start, like, spelling Star Wars things incorrectly, like I was having a discussion the other day on Facebook with a friend about the Sarlacc, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. He, he spelled Sarlacc incorrectly, and mm-hmm. I wasn't letting that go. Mm-hmm. But, you know, because it was all about pedantry because someone had posted a picture of 
R2-D2 with a lightsaber, like mm-hmm. someone dressed as R2-D2, but also wielding a lightsaber. And someone's like, oh, you know, R2-D2 never had a lightsaber. And then someone's like, well, as a matter of fact, yes, he did when he fired the lightsaber to Luke Skywalker. I was going to say, yeah, he was at the very yeah. least contained it, yes. Yeah, but then I was like, well, okay, if you're going to call that, you've got to get Sarlacc spelled correctly. And then anyway, <laughs> it's spiraled into the sort of conversation that results in you never having a girlfriend that's true i mean we yeah i imagine we could talk about star wars for forever which which we're not going to do but i will i will just say as a final little you know what what i've been up to thing it was recently may the 4th which has become this kind of weird star wars sort of holiday i guess um and i spent my may the 4th not i I didn't do this on purpose but afterwards i thought oh this was quite this was quite uh this worked out quite well for reasons we'll get into later, I had stuff that I needed to do, and I spent the whole May 4th re-watching one of my favorite things on the internet ever, which is the Red Letter Media reviews of Star Wars Episodes 1, 2, and 3. Have you seen there these, Brady? N- there is no better way to spend your time than watching those. They, they are brilliant. I have, I have thought many a time that I forgive the existence of those first three movies because without them we would not have the Red Letter Media Reviews. I will put the link in the show notes. If you haven't seen these things, they are great. I will just pre-warn people that the style of them takes a lot of getting used to. There's a a kind of super creepy narrator who is doing this review of why the, the first three movies are awful. Trust me, people, run with it. Just just go along with it. It is completely worth it. They are amazing. They're really entertaining. And I often think of them as... I mean, they are as long as the movies themselves. I think it's six hours for, for, to watch yeah, all of them from they're, start they're to finish. Brilliant. They're great. And he's, does great. he's done some really good stuff on some other films, too. I mean, the, those, oh, yeah, yeah. the Star Wars is the pinnacle, but the Indiana Jones stuff's quite good. Yes, some Star and, Trek stuff. And the Star good. Trek ones. I, I actually, my wife uh, has seen the Red Letter Media reviews, my, but my wife is a very big Star Trek fan. I think I've sort of referenced this before on the show. And. I will not let her watch the Red Letter Media Star Trek reviews because I've, I've told her, and I know her well enough to know that this is true. Like, these reviews will just ruin some of the things in Star on Star Trek for you forever. You can't unsee some of the things that he talks about or the flaws that he points out. So um, there's uh, there's a whole team of guys at Red Letter Media, and I mean those those reviews are I think just just great at great great reviews. Um, but I would definitely list the the Star Wars reviews in particular as one of my ten favorite things I have ever seen on the internet. So it'll yeah, be in the show notes. Check it out, people. It's amazing. Follow up. Follow up. We were talking about news last time. Someone in the Reddit left a a quote, which again I thought summarized my my position just beautifully, which is this Mark Twain quote that goes, "If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed, and if you read the newspaper." You're misinformed. And I thought that that just struck me as beautiful. Like that is a perfect encapsulation of basically my opinion of of most of the news. And I choose to be uninformed rather than misinformed. So I just I love that. So thanks to uh, whoever posted that on uh, on the Reddit. That was just that was just perfect. That was really good. Did Mark Twain like say anything in his life that wasn't like an awesome quote? Like he must have been 500 years old to have say to have said all the awesome quotes that he said. Well, this is it. I have not investigated if this is actually Mark Twain. There's so many misattributed to Mark Twain kind of quotes. It's like uh, it's like Yogi Berra. There's a certain kind of quote that just gets ascribed to a particular person. So, someone can tell us in in the comments 
difference if that is genuinely, if that is a sourced Mark Twain quote, or if this is just a, a manufactured Mark Twain quote, or if somebody else said it who wasn't as famous as Mark Twain. But uh, either way, that that statement I think is just perfect, absolutely perfect. Got a link here that you put. You put a link down that you wanted to talk about. Oh yeah, I just just very briefly because I mentioned uh, Nate Silver's five thirty eight project. The other mm-hmm. one uh, that I wanted to mention, which is I don't I don't know uh, this reporter as well, but this guy called Ezra Klein has started his own uh, news project as well, which looks promising. I was taking a look at it a little bit uh, earlier today. But um, one of the things I like that they're that they're doing on this alternate news project as well is they're publishing. Uh, if they interview someone, they're publishing both the interviews, like the full length. Here's the actual interview we did, in addition to the story itself. And I think that 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 is a great example of how news on the internet can just can just be so different. You know, you can you can have a story that summarizes an interview that you did with somebody. And within that story, you can link to you know the audio version mm-hmm. or whatever of because the full space hour. Because there's no limitation. Yeah, yeah there's no. Yeah, there's, there's no, there's no limit page. at all. And I think part of it is a guy I have followed for years called Paul Graham uh, was recently caught out in a big big problem where you know, quotes that he said were sort of taken out of context and and this is the kind of thing where I think it is great if this could become more of a standard that look if you're going to to do a, a story you're going to publish the whole interview as well so you can't try to spin it. Uh, you know, in a particular way, and also on the flip side, it allows it doesn't allow people to just claim that they were misquoted if they are actually just said some horrible thing or if they really meant it. They can't say, "Oh, the newspaper took me out of context," because again, you have the whole interview there. So I thought I just thought that was a good example of how the internet is different and can be better than uh, traditional news reporting in some ways. So. Uh, and a link in the show notes. Yeah, I'll put a link to Vox uh, in the show notes if people want to check that out. Today's episode of Hello Internet has been sponsored by our friends at Audible.com, the leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Now, you can get a free audiobook when you sign on for the Audible membership. If you go to audible.com slash hello internet, you'll find all the details and I always really enjoy Audible ads because we get to recommend a book. And today, Gray's let me loose. He's going to let me recommend one. But first of all, I think I'd quickly talk about why you would listen to audiobooks. I've only really gotten into audiobooks in the last couple of years, and that's because of a few changes in my life. One is I've started driving a lot more and longer distances because of my work. And like reading an actual book at the wheel of the car is pretty dangerous. So uh, I give that a miss and go for the audiobooks instead. But also you've probably heard me talk recently on the podcast about some trips I've taken to the Himalayas and that involves basically, you know, 10 hour walks each day and audiobooks really help pass the time. Now when I did those trips I filled up the iPhone with books all about Mount Everest and the Himalayas and I love mountaineering books full stop. I want to recommend a book today called High Crimes by Mokul Kodas, I guess is how you'd pronounce his name. This is a book I listened to while walking to Everest Base Camp. And basically, I mean, the subheading of the book is the fate of Everest in an age of greed. And it really is about, well, the crazy things people are getting up to on the mountain these days. The, I mean, this isn't like sort of into thin air where you think, well, you know, some people here have got moral dilemmas. This book tells some stories about some acts people do that are well, just plain criminal. <laughs> It really is extraordinary. It's a true story, and it's told really cleverly. It's told from the two different sides of the mountain at the same time. 
uh, some people who were going up from the Nepal side and some other people who were going up from the, the China-Tibet side. It's really worth listening to. Uh, it's well narrated. It's well written. And if you're someone who does like going for walks, it's a really nice book to have playing while sort of, you know, admiring the scenery and watching the world go by. So there you go, High Crimes. If you want to listen to it, Audible has it, along with 150,000 other titles. Not all mountaineering books, unfortunately, but they've got pretty much every genre covered. You'll find what you're looking for. Go to audible.com and put slash hello internet so they know you came from us. And remember, you get a free audiobook when you sign on for their 30-day trial today. Thanks for sponsoring us. That's audible.com slash hello internet. I just wanted to share a little moment I had with you. And like, it was a really, it was a nothing moment. But uh-huh. I think it will speak to you in some way, Be- being a robot, of course. Uh-huh. Basically, I had, I'd been filming all this stuff on all my various cameras, including like the high speed slow motion camera that creates these enormous files that take days to process. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've actually got a second computer in a corner that just processes those files because for various reasons. Mm-hmm. So I had plugged in all the high speed camera and, and all these files were processing. And then over on my main computer, I had all my rushes from that day's filming all going into the computer. And at the same time, the computer was processing some other videos from one format to another that needed doing. And at the same time, I was downloading a bunch of stuff that was being sent to me by someone else via Dropbox. And while that was going on, I think I was just surfing the internet or something. And I suddenly looked around at what was going on and how much work these machines were doing. Mm -hmm. And I thought, computers are pretty amazing. Good. (laughs) They're amazing, aren't they? Yes, they are. They are quite amazing and super important. Like I remember I was once going for a walk and I was closing a gate that um, that had to be closed, otherwise like sheep would escape. And someone had attached like a, a rock to the chain that pulls the, um, the gate closed. And because that rock was tied on there, the gate would always be pulled closed. Like you couldn't leave it open by mistake. Mm-hmm. And I and I looked at that and I thought, isn't that clever? Isn't that amazing? What a cle- how clever humans are. Mm-hmm. And I I spent a good five ten minutes talking to people about this clever person who'd attached a rock to a chain. Mm-hmm. And yet all day I'm surrounded by these machines that are doing these remarkable remarkable things. And you just don't think about it. I, th- I think the, the 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 rock on a chain and the computers are kind of the same thing. Of you want to set up an, an environment that assists you in whatever it is you want to do. So I actually really love the rock on on the chain as well because it's the same thing. Of there are going to be times when you're exiting the gate and you're you're occupied with something else or you're in a big hurry, and so you want to engineer the situation so that it is not possible mm. for you to forget, because then you have sheep running all over the countryside or whatever it is. Uh, You know, the raptor gets loose because you didn't put the bolt in the way it's supposed to be. Like, well, you shouldn't be able to leave the cage unbolted. Uh, So I think that that stuff is great. And the computers are the same thing. Uh, You know, having having the machines do work for you when when um, when you're not actively using it is is brilliant. The sheer volume of work they do is amazing, though. Like just anyway. So I I sound like I've just come from. I sound like a caveman, don't I? Like I've just no. From, and like, but sometimes you just forget, like the just how how much they do and how quickly. But anyway, it was just a little moment I had, and a little nostalgic moment, and I thought, 
Gray would like this. Oh, I, I, I do. feel in the love for computers. I do. I do. I, I, I'm glad that you you appreciate you know the the mechanical servants that we have in our lives, the digital servants that we have in our lives. So speaking of technology and digital servants and assistants, mm-hmm. I uh, I went to phone you the other day and I didn't get through. <laughs> I got your voicemail. <laughs> it basically is just you saying. Don't leave a message. I don't listen to messages. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. I liked that. I liked that. It was kind of, it was hardcore, you know. Yeah. Don't yeah. mess around. Don't mess around with pleasantries. Just like, you're wasting your time. <laughs> it's like it's like sending you an email. Don't bother. No, no. See, emails at least have the possibility of catching my attention. But You don't I, check your voicemail at all. Yeah, in case I can't play it, my voicemail basically says, Hi, you've reached CGP Grey. Don't leave a voicemail. I do not check these these messages. And the thing that baffles me is that I know people still leave voicemails. I don't understand who the people are who, who leave these voicemails because I don't listen to them. I'm not kidding around. And a little while ago, uh, when I think it was in the latest version of iOS, Apple uh, introduced a feature where you can block messages or texts from a particular phone number. So I actually blocked whatever number it is that my telephone service provider uses to send me a notification to let me know that I have 45 unread voicemail messages. So I was like, oh, this is great. So I can block this. So now I don't even have to once a week get some dumb text telling me that there's some messages that I should listen to. So no, the my voicemail is basically just a black hole. Things go in there and they never come out. I never what listen if, to like, any of those. What if your wife like gets abducted or something and she's trying to call you from the trunk of a car or she's being sped out to the countryside she's saying help me darling help they've got me and last i saw first of all she probably sent me a text message but (laughs) second of all i mean i have my phone on me all the time if she tries to call i can see that it's her calling again with uh on the iphone her you know her picture shows up and it's my wife so i i know to take that call but my phone blocks uh, you know anything from uh, unknown numbers? I, you know, I don't. I just don't even receive those. But of course, the people in my life who uh, want to be able to contact me know how to contact me. But they're they're not going to leave a voicemail message. I, that's again, I don't know who these people are, and I guess I never will know who the people are who leave voicemail messages. I guess all I know is that they have my phone number, but they don't know the ways that I actually want to be contacted, and that's fine. I guess it, you know it's never caused any problems for me. So, I came across a video mm-hmm. the other day, mm-hmm. uh, which I have shown you today. I will, I will, I will try and explain the video for the few people out there who have not seen it, and there, it must only be a few because it's been watched twenty nine million times. Yeah, I'm just going to pull it up again, even though it infuriated me. Yes, twenty nine. Oh, actually, as of now, it's now thirty million views. They must have just updated it. So. Uh, I will try to summarize it before I let you off the leash. <laughs> um, I would. It's it's a very clean cut young man in a sensible sweater uh, reciting a poem that I believe he wrote, mm-hmm. and it was kind of one of those poems that you write at school that is nice because it will rhyme all the time while you eat some lime, sort of thing. It was mm-hmm. quite you know quite a rhymy poem, and it's all about. Uh, sort of our current society's obsession with, you know, 
social media and always being on our computers and our phones. And a sort of a video like this comes along every few months, I guess, mm-hmm. that goes viral, which is, which is ironic that they come, come along and go viral on social media. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it, it, this, this one went viral. There was one, there was one last year that was really good, actually. The one about that girl that was sort of hanging out with her friends and doing all these activities and everyone was always on their phone. Yes. I'll see I if, I'll I see if I can find that one. Cause yeah, I remember, I remember that one, that one making the rounds and I really yeah. like that one. That one uh, was good, but this one's a bit, I don't know. This, this one didn't do it for me so much. Uh, but anyway, I, do you know what? I'm going to be completely honest with you. I haven't even watched it all five. I will not give five minutes to a video. I don't enjoy, but I believe you did watch it all. Well, 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 to be clear about this, you you sent this to me and said, "Oh, you, I really want you to watch this for today's program." Now, because yeah. I wanted to stir you up. Well, well, I was stirred up partly because about three minutes into it, I, I said something to you like, "I should actually, I should pull up, I should pull up the messages right here." What did I, what did I say to you? I said, "This video is so insufferable. Do I have to watch to the end? It's already been three minutes and 40, uh, 46 seconds, and the video is five minutes long." And then you reply, and you're like, "Oh, I didn't even watch it at all. You know, I, I just sent it to you. I thought you should watch it." And I, so I, like an idiot, just assumed that you sent me something to watch, and that you would have watched it all. But you just, you just wanted to pass it along to me, and neglected to mention that you yourself didn't watch it. So I was super irritated at you by that. <laughs> I think I, I, I got the general gist, and the general gist is, you know technology is an illusion and let's end the confusion and the delusion and let's all get together and hold hands and um, get our heads out of the screens and smell the flowers and uh, touch a baby and stuff. Yeah. But like, and like, I don't disagree with the sentiment. Like I sometimes feel really down about how much time I spend on computers and social media. Unlike you, I probably, I know you, I mean, I am probably this video should appeal to me more than you because I do feel that life has become too skewed in that direction. But this video, 29 million views. Tell me what you thought about it. Well, yeah, I I just assumed that you were 100% on board with this nonsense. I'm actually kind of surprised that that, that it irritated even you, but, but yeah, so the basic, I mean, we'll put it in the show notes. So, you know, good luck people. You can watch it, but um, the basic premise of the video is exactly that, that people spend too much time on social media and blah, blah, blah. And there is the rhymey poem. And the video that's going on in the background you know, shows people on their phones. But there's a kind of story, I guess, that that's cut through it, which is um, this guy using – instead of it, – it shows a guy who, instead of using his phone, is trying to find directions somewhere – and of course, a pretty girl walks by and he asks her for directions. And then they s- skip to them suddenly having dinner, right? Which I guess it's implied that she walked oh, him to wherever so they were like, going to go. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, so there was a story. So if you talk to real humans, you can... Right. You, right. Like, a, like a pretty girl will suddenly end up having dinner with you if you just ask her for directions, which first of all, I just think... Instead of using Google Maps. Yeah, instead of using Google Maps. Mm. Um I mean, ugh, so many things wrong with that. But I mean, first of all, how how many women are going to presumably walk a stranger to their location and then end up having dinner with them that night? I think the chances of that are pretty low. So I, I don't like the the framing mechanism, just even to start with for the video. But and also, ugh, 
again, the the idea that there are only people in the real world, right? That there aren't people on the internet world. I, I, I think I mentioned before on the show, but like, I found my wife through the internet. Right? I would I would never have met her were it not for the internet. We had many a digital communication before we ever met in person. So, so the idea that like, oh, the only way you can find true love is just by random chance walking around in the street asking strangers for their, you know, for directions and then being a total creepy person and having them walk you to that place long enough so that you can get to know each other and then she invites you over for dinner, I guess, in this fantasy land of how human interactions go. No, it's uh, – Ah, the framing device is just awful, so I hate it. But even you must realize that eventually you have to supplement this cyber relationship with, like, a physical meeting. Like, yeah. you, even you bit the bullet one day and said, all right, I'm going to meet this woman before I actually marry her. Yeah, no, no, obviously, obviously, yes. And that's that's the thing that I hate about a video like this is 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 just the whole premise, the whole premise through something like this is that our technology is not any good because it separates us from each other. And, and I think... That premise is obviously wrong. There is a there's a totally reasonable argument to be made about the amount of t- time that people spend using technology. That's a completely reasonable argument. But but this idea the the premise of the video is like, you know, go <laughs> it ends with with the the like the takeaway message is the next time you go outside, be sure to leave your iPhone behind so you can experience the real world. <laughs> it's like what are you crazy? Who's gonna do that? I'm not gonna do that unless I'm intentionally, I don't know, going to some isolation retreat for the weekend. Which I would also say, like that, that can be an interesting experience to do. There are there are places you can go that are intentionally separated from technology. I think that's a super cool experience. But I'm still gonna take my phone right on in my car to get to that place for so many numerous reasons. It's just, ah. Oh. I just, uh, these things just make me mad. They make me super mad. And I also noticed, I mean, there's no way he could have known this was going to be watched as many times as it has been watched. And I have noted that he has activated advertising on his one video on YouTube. <laughs> so, so I bet he's about to start spending a whole lot more time making YouTube videos. Yes, probably. Was this uploaded I, recently? Uh, I, think, I, think, I think he's about to enter the April delusion. 25th. Whoa. So yeah. this is what, like, I guess now we're recording this, about two and a half, three weeks. Yeah. This guy, so I bet, I bet he's not going to think it's such an illusion and delusion when he starts getting a big check from YouTube. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Thirty million <laughs> views—that's like a third of my whole YouTube career, um, <laughs> right? But ah, uh, no. so anyway, it's just—it makes me mad. And I, th- I think now um, I, the fu- the one that I liked a while back, and it's been—it's been a long time. But I'm going to presume based on the th- kinds of things that past me would like, because that that video was more reasonable about it. And I I think that I don't know I don't know if you experience this super often, but I I will judge people harshly if we're in a social situation and someone is always distracted by their phone. Be- you know, partly because like, okay, it's taken a whole bunch of effort for everybody to come out and like, and we're in a place. And if if you are the person who was always on their phone, or or God, you know, you're the person like posting photographs of the thing that we're at right now. Yeah, I, I do kind of judge that a little bit. I think if you're socializing with other people, it's time to put your phone away and, and make a conscious effort to be present with the people that you're, you're there with. I think that's the point of going out. If you didn't want to be there with the people, then you shouldn't have gone and you should have stayed home. And that's, perfect, yeah. that, you know, that's perfectly fine. So I, I make it a very, very conscious effort that if I'm, if I'm out with people to not 
have my phone out to not be checking the phone. And I think that that's, that's good. And that's a reasonable argument. But the idea that you're going to leave your phone at home is, is just ludicrous or that, that the phone hasn't helped your life in a numerous, in, in just so many ways. I mean, that's, that's the thing that gets me is like, people don't have iPhones for no reason. People have all of these smartphones and all of these devices because they're making a judgment that their life is way better with them than without them. Uh, so that's that's why I just I can't stand these things where it's like, oh, Apple has made all of us sad by the magical, wondrous things that they have created, which we all voluntarily use every day because they're great. That just it just infuriates me. Yeah. It's pretty annoying. It was pretty. I mean, like like you said. I mean, I'm probably more susceptible to that message. But I yeah, think I kind was, of can't believe that that you're on my side in this argument. To be honest, well, well, I, th- I I think I think he lost me with his style. Like the like, whereas that other one, the one that was good from a year ago or so, like that was a kind of cool and well shot and. Like I, I was sort of jealous of the filmmaking and thought, yeah, this is really coolly made. Whereas this one was kind of a bit like, you know, I thought it was a bit twee and a bit, uh, yeah, it didn't do it for me. So, and you know, I'm not, I'm not completely hardcore, but I do think there is, you know, you know, I think a bit differently to you on this, and we we all do spend too much time mm. on the internet, and I'm me more than anyone, but yeah. and, and so again, I, I'm 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 super open to the argument. That there are yeah. there are times to put technology away. Yeah. And I think many years ago, um, let me look up the name. I just want to double check. I get this right. I think it was called the Prince Albert Hotel. Mm. Hotel. Uh, Listen to that fast typing. Wow. I wasn't even looking at the keyboard when wow. that was going really? on. How do you know what buttons you were pressing? Well, I have learned to touch type. <laughs> is how that has happened. So I knew I didn't quite get that right. I was just looking it up and it was the Prince of Wales Hotel. Uh, so uh-huh. just wanted the name if people wanted to look it up. And it is in an amazingly gorgeous place, which is this national park that spans both Canada and the United States called the uh, Waterton Glacier International Peace Park. Uh, it is a stunningly beautiful place if you are ever, if you're ever in the area, you need to, to take a, a trip to see it. And I happened to just stumble upon this place when I was doing a, a road trip across America. I didn't really intend to go there. I just sort of ended up there. And the hotel makes a big uh, point of the fact that they don't have Wi-Fi. They don't have internet. Uh, you're not going to get cell phone reception at that hotel. And that's part of the experience. And I, th- I think I ended up staying there for two or three days. And I thought it was just great. Uh, you know, I, I, I love that kind of conscious decision that we're going to have this space where we remove mm. technology. And they had a, a downstairs dining area where they encouraged everybody to come. And they said, look, there'll always be people here. And we want to try to encourage you to talk to other people in this setting. And I did. And it was it was really nice. It was really great. So there there is definitely benefits to conscious exclusion of technology from certain areas. But the idea that all of life is made miserable by technology is just obviously ludicrous. So anyway, that's that's that. Did the actual border run through the grounds, like between the two countries? Uh, well, not for this. The, that hotel was very clearly on the Canada side. But there, right. it, it's basically it is this stunning forest, mountain range, glacier area. And both the United States and Canada thought that this mountain range 
uh, would make a great national park. And then at some point they realized, oh, we both have these national parks that are butting up right against each other on our border. So why don't we make this like an officially managed uh, area as an international park? So it's it's very, very cool. Uh, and you should go check it out if you're ever in the area. The elephant in the podcast that we have not yet discussed. Mm-hmm. You've put a new video out. Yes, yes. We're recording this on Thursday night. And on Monday, I put a video out, and uh, there was a there was a brief, glorious moment on the Gray versus Brady website, where it showed me as having put out a video and you as having nothing at all. And so I had to screenshot that for myself to preserve this rare moment, because normally it says that you have released. 27 videos since the last time I released a video. So I was, uh, I was happy to see that counter at least briefly reset uh, with, a, with a real video. So Before we exciting. talk about your video, I do have a few issues with that website. Go, go right like, ahead. Like, like I enjoy that it was made and like I get a chuckle from it. But I think it manages to be unfair to both of us, which is quite amazing. <laughs> it manages to portray both of us very unfairly. Uh-huh. That's a pretty special... Uh, Special thing, really. How do you think it treats both of us unfairly? Well, how long have you got? (laughs) Let's let's give it give it it a few brief minutes. What do you think? It treats you unfairly. Well, I guess maybe it treats me more unfairly, but it treats you a bit unfairly because it makes it it makes you look unproductive. Uh It makes it look like I'm you know busily making videos and trying to educate the world while you're stagnating. Right. That's one way you could put it, which is completely unfair because of the completely different nature of our videos and the way they're made and the production cycles. So I think that's unfair on you. And then I think it's unfair on me, or maybe because it makes me look like I'm just whacking out videos while you're lovingly crafting videos in a, <laughs> you know, in your studio. Mm-hmm. But also, mm-hmm. also, you know, having these view counts and having having the average view count, obviously my average view count is very very low compared mm-hmm. to yours. Partly because you have a much bigger, more successful channel, but also because oh, much my bigger average... number number file is is has pretty much mm. the same number of subscribers as me. No, no. <laughs> but anyway, but, but but also you know my average is being dragged down by all these other little videos I make for these little niche projects. Mm. So I think that average is is, is a slightly deceiving figure. But then the total number of views, which obviously then puts me up probably higher than you again, I think it does. is also is also unfair, because you know I have all these different projects and different things I'm working on, and some of them have help, and you're just you know. So I think I don't know. I think it's a bit unfair on both of us. But I love that it was made, and I do look at it, and I and I get a laugh from it, and uh, I think it's a good joke. To have going, but yeah, as I say, I think it's I think it is mostly funny, and I think or yeah, yeah I think anybody who is enthusiastic enough to go to that website, like they 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 know that it's funny, right? They understand how different our videos are. Right? Like, I do love I do love the little Easter egg though that when when a new video is on there and the view counter has frozen at three hundred one, so the uh-huh. view count just says three hundred one in there. They've actually made that a hyperlink to my three hundred one video that explains why views. Stick at three hundred one. Have you noticed that? I didn't notice the hyperlink. I didn't notice the hyperlink. Yeah, I, yeah. I am. Uh, I'm forever envious of your three hundred one video because I had something in the works on that, and then you beat me to it. 
And so now you you get to be the definitive video about why videos stop at 301 views. So well done, well done for you on that one. You should you should you should still make one, like because you would do it better, and like it would be really cool to watch. Like, yeah, I, I, I think I think I think yours is good. I think there's there is no reason to duplicate this. So you you but you you win this round. But I did not notice that there was a hyperlink on the 301. So that's good. That's a nice touch. That's a nice touch. I know, yeah, it is. That was that was a, that was nice. Um, I really want you to make a three hundred one video. I'd really like to watch that. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> let's this is let's stop talking about that. Let's talk about your new video, which you put out this week on net neutrality, and which yes. I've watched a couple of times and enjoyed very much. I thought it was excellent. Uh, tell me about. Well, you, you also made it very quickly. Was this a long? You know, tell me the story. Yeah. This uh, this was a video that I think honestly took took some some weeks off the end of my life because this was, this was made <laughs> under just the most unusual group of circumstances. So um, the the short version of of this is I I was working on something uh, a main video for this month, which was not the net neutrality thing. But I don't know what it was. I think maybe I saw something on Reddit or for, for some reason net neutrality was just on the top of my mind uh, on Thursday night, the Thursday before I uploaded the video. And I remember going to bed and it was just, it was kind of just cycling in my brain as I'm falling to sleep. I was thinking about net neutrality. And so then in the on Friday morning when I went to do my usual work routine – I thought, let me just let me just poke around and research the net neutrality thing a little bit. I can feel my brain is interested in this. This might be a good time to work on it. And Friday morning, I discovered that this whole news in you know while we're recording this right now that in America the FCC, which is the the government body that kind of regulates all of this stuff, all of internet and telecommunications and everything in America, they announced that they're going to have some announcement related to net neutrality on the fifteenth of this month. Right. And so I discovered that on Friday morning. Um, look at my calendar. So what? Just, just so I can get the right. Because what is that? So that would be the second, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, that was Friday morning. Was the second. Yep. And ba- basically, I thought, oh God, this is the this is the best time ever to make this video that I've been kind of thinking about for a while. Like I had a bunch of notes already on net neutrality. If I'm ever going to do it, I have to do it right now. But it's going to be an advocacy video, so that means I need to get it out as soon as possible. And for various strategic trying to hit the news cycle reasons, that that meant like, okay, I have to get this out on either Monday or Tuesday at the absolute latest. Now, knowing my normal production cycle, that is not really possible. But I was thinking, Uh okay, I... I do already know a lot about this topic. I don't have to do a bunch of research on this, so I can cut all of that out. And th- this kind of thing, I think most people who watch my videos don't notice it, but it's a big deal for me. I stylistically have two different videos. There are videos where I'm talking to the audience directly. Those are the videos that usually start out where I say, hello, internet. And mm-hmm. then I have my what I think of as the main videos where stylistically I don't use the word I. I, I might make oblique references to my thoughts, but I, I very intentionally don't ever use the word I. Yeah. Um, and the ones where I talk to the audience are way easier to write. I was thinking, okay, if I do this as, as a, a first-person-centered video and I don't need to do the research, 
is it possible to turn it around? And so I basically spent all of Friday trying to write a rough draft for the script. And I came to the conclusion that if I don't sleep, I might be able to get this out by Monday, which is, which is what happened. But just to add in the thing that made this a little bit more difficult and it was just the worst timing in the world was that both on that Monday, my wife was leaving for a trip where she's going to be gone for about a week. And so the idea of having to say, I'm not going to be around because I need to spend all of my time on this project right before you're going to go somewhere is not ideal. That's not good, man. Yeah, it's not good. And then you add into the fact that I had family visiting from America at this exact same time. And so I had to say the same thing that, oh, I know you flew across an ocean to see me, but I need to take three days to not be available because... I need to go do a thing on the internet. So like this project was both incredibly rushed and under terribly difficult circumstances, but I did it because it is a, it is a topic that I super care about. Like there are very few topics where I would look at that factor, all of these decisions and say, but I should still make this video anyway. I think almost any other topic I would say, oh, I, I do not have the time or the resources or just the, like the sanity to be able to ignore my family uh, in this time to be able to do it. So it was, it was a very costly video in a whole bunch of ways. And yes, I, I ended up on Sunday. I did all of the animations and most of the audio. And I basically woke up Sunday at about 7 a.m., and I went to bed at 3 a.m. And then I got up Monday morning and finished up a couple final things. And so I was not in great shape <laughs> that day. And I feel like I'm still slightly recovering from this, this uh, ridiculous burst of work, which is, is not a sustainable way to work. So it was, it was very exhausting from start to finish. If it so. only took three days, just do that once a week. Yeah. And then like, rest for the other four days. And then you could have a weekly video. Oh. That'd be brilliant. Oh. <laughs> Man, no, oh God, no. That is a a once, maybe twice a year kind of kind of thing. And and again, only under incredibly exceptional circumstances, and only for topics I know already that is that even possible. So I love you, Internet, which is why I made that video. I think this is super important, but there's no way I could do normal videos uh like that and still be alive by the time I was fifty. So <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about net neutrality for a minute. Obviously, I'm imagining almost everyone who listens will have seen your video. And if they haven't, well, maybe they should pause now and watch it. Yeah, I was um, I was actually wondering, and dear listener who, who hears my voice right now, you can answer this question. I was kind of wondering if there's anybody who listens to this who doesn't watch both of our channels or at the very least one of our channels. I'd be very curious in the Reddit if there is anybody who came upon this podcast in some other way, but didn't didn't either know your channel or my channel before that. I'm just curious to know if that person exists. So if you exist and you're listening to me right now, Thomas, <laughs> leave a comment in the Reddit and we'll see how that goes. I'm just, I'm kind yeah. of curious, but. Uh, Viahat also just did a video, which is excellent, which I'm sure you might mention and we'll definitely link to. Uh, Hank Green. I, I had missed Hank Grains, but I saw that today as well, and that's also very good. I discovered his video after I spent my whole day writing the script. And, yeah. uh, and then the first time I, I checked my computer email, one of the things I saw was, was Hank Green uploaded a video. So I thought, oh, cool, let me see, let me see what Hank has done. Uh, and then, yes, uh, Vihart uploaded her video yesterday, yours, yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. I am really, I'm so, <laughs> I'm so still out of it. I think it was yesterday. But, yeah, so just... 
super brief for you know for the record on this show. Um, yeah. Net neutrality is basically it's it's this issue about what amount of control does the company that you buy your internet have over what comes through the wires? And net neutrality is is the principle that they should basically have no control, that all of the data should be treated equally, and that whatever acts, uh, whatever uh, website you're attempting to access, that should just come through your internet cable at the maximum technically possible speed, you know, or the maximum speed for whatever package you have paid for, and that there shouldn't there shouldn't be any ability to change that. So that that is the principle of net neutrality in a in a nutshell. Treat all data coming through the pipe equally. So this is so that sort of your internet provider can't do some deal where they say we'll give you super fast Netflix, but your YouTube videos will be slow and things like that. In the US and in other parts around the world, companies, uh, internet service providers, some of them anyway, are are trying to get that rule removed because if you are the person who's actually uh, maintaining those internet connections, you want the ability to influence the traffic that is going through those wires. And you have, a, as a company, you have a, a huge number of reasons that you would want to do this. But, uh, but uh, I would say what I would assume is one of the primary motivating, factor, motivating factors is simply just money. If you yeah. control the like the final wire going into somebody's house and you have the ability to artificially slow down various websites unless people, either the consumer who is already paying for the internet pays more for the speedy YouTube package or, you know, mm. um, or as has happened in the United States where the internet service providers have charged, <laughs> just it's, it sounds so awful, but they have charged um, other companies like Netflix additional money in order to just let Netflix through the wire as it's supposed to go. It's, it's, it's like holding data for ransom, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's basically like holding data for, data for ransom. And there are topics that are just basically impossible to talk about in terms of what they really are. Go to Wikipedia and read the article about how the internet works. You have all of these complicated connections between, you know, tier one, tier two, tier three providers, backbones, peering uh, exchanges. Like, there's all this, these huge levels of complexity. Uh, and I, I was speaking with a few people, um, you know, to try to sort out some of this stuff. And it's, it's like, man, if you are not a network engineer, it's almost impossible to talk about this in the terms that it actually is. And so you see, as in my own video, as in Vi Hart's video, uh, or as in Hank's video, people talk in terms of analogies, and the usual, usual analogy is like a road, and people are talking about trucks and delivering packages and all the rest of that. And it, it's because there's no other way to talk about this. You can't have this discussion on the actual level of what it is, and then all of the arguments kind of boil, get get messed up when you're arguing over the analogy, because there's so many reasons that cars on a road is nothing like the way the internet works. Yeah. That that it's it's very confusing, and it's it's one of the reasons why I absolutely hate it. But the uh, internet service providers are often talking about building fast lanes. You know, like oh, we want to build fast lanes for the internet, which sounds awesome. Except that when you try to root through the technical details, what what they really mean is is like oh, we'll slow down everything, and then the normal lane becomes the fast lane. 
and yeah. you know everything else is going through the slow lane and it's simply fast by comparison but it's 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 just such a complicated issue and i have i have some just incredibly deep disappointments with the video that i produced but i'm relatively happy with it given the time constraints and given the kind of goal from my perspective which was to talk about net neutrality in the most general possible terms, so not specifically related to the, the issues going on in America, and in a way yeah. that might hopefully give a person unfamiliar uh, with the technology some notion of why it is bad. So th those were basically my goals uh, for that. I was not attempting to explain more of the details of what's going on and for that, I think um, Vihart, who we, we actually were talking, Vihart is spotted me on Twitter asking a particular question. And uh, the, the couple of times I've, I've uh, talked with Vihart in person, it's just creepy. But sometimes we have the exact same thoughts about something or like we know what the other person is thinking. And Vihart saw me ask a relatively innocuous question on Twitter where I was asking people for help with something and basically sent me a message a minute later where she said, I know exactly what you're working on. You're working on a net neutrality video and I am too. It's <laughs> like, yes, Vihart, you can read my mind. Um, so we, we, she showed me her script, uh, you know, and, and we had a little bit of a discussion about it. But if you want a video that does a much better job of talking Still in analogies, but much more about like what is, what are the details of this and what is happening in America right now. Vihart's video is a much better video than mine for that. Mine, I think, is a is a much more general one that I hope will be applicable in in future situations if if net neutrality problems come up elsewhere. I was uh, I was having a think about like discussing this and because obviously sometimes my role here is to be a bit of a devil's advocate, just to kind of nudge you a bit to find out more about what you think mm -hmm. but this really is a case of where being the devil's advocate is being an advocate of the devil in a way because oh, yeah. because it's, it's, it's hard to it's hard to kind of reconcile um the opposing position and like i was doing it to myself in my head saying oh, i could ask gray this or i could put this to him but i was just like my argument was falling apart before i even came out of my mouth because i kind of I, I think we're pretty much in agreement and like no one you know, net neutrality is really important to me, like for my job too. So, mm -hmm. uh, but I will try. Well, if I, if I, well, uh, before you even try, I'm, I'm just going to simply say that I did get a whole bunch of comments, both on YouTube and on Reddit, where people were asking, you know, well, what's the other, what's the other side to this, or, or you know, why, you know, why, why would a government even consider doing this? And most of the time, I, I would try to explain that if there was some kind of reasonable argument to be had on the other side. But there, there are definitely times when there, there is no reasonable argument to be had on the other side. I can understand why the company wants to do it, but there's no argument to be made for why it is good for either society or the internet as a whole is my position. So now I will let you devil's advocate after I've, I've put that in ahead of time. So there you well, go. <laughs> I guess the first question, like the most fundamental question to this is – is data and like access to the internet a fundamental right? Like, you know, like having air to breathe and to a lesser extent access to a power of water. I know there are a lot of people who don't have that, but um, 
how fundamental a right is this? Because a lot of the chest beating that goes on is like, how dare you, how dare you slow this one down and give me this one fast? I want it all the same. And I guess a question is, well, hang on. We have this real sense of entitlement about the internet and data and access to it. Uh, is it is it like a right? You know, should we just expect to be able to have it in the first place? I think it. I think you can reasonably call it a, a right in the same way electricity is a right once your society is at a certain level of wealth that it, it doesn't it doesn't make sense to deprive your citizens of plumbing or electricity or internet if your gdp per capita is above amount x so it's it's not a fundamental right in in the same way that you might say or, or that one might make an argument for food being kind of fundamental to being a human. Obviously, the internet is not. But if your society is wealthy enough, it's just crazy not to ensure that everybody has access to the internet. So that that's a little bit the way I, I would look at it. But the the entitlement thing is interesting because you know the internet works very differently in, in countries around the world. And um, until very recently, the UK did not have any kind of net neutrality uh, laws. Yeah. And everything was basically sort of fine with UK internet. But the reason things were okay with UK internet has to do with uh, competition regulation. So basically, in the UK, for almost everybody, you have a genuine choice of internet service providers. I think, yeah. I think in our latest flat, when I went to look, there was something like seven companies that we could buy our internet from if we wanted to. Right. And so this is... is Internet neutrality matters a lot more in a place like the United States where almost everybody has no choice with their internet service provider. And now this – I mean this has to do a lot with regulations in particular countries and, and I sort of don't want to get into that. But the but I would just say that net neutrality, it's – I think it is very important. But there are circumstances under which it is it is not necessarily the most important thing. If you have genuine uh, competition between internet providers, you can do okay without net neutrality because they all act as a check on each other. But yeah. I swear, America sometimes tries to make sure it does the worst of everything and then combine it together to make it even worse than anything could be in a kind of amazingly awesome badness synergy. And so both having no competition and then not having any kind of regulations to ensure that the person your monopoly provider does a halfway decent job is just the worst of both worlds. It just it just makes it absolutely terrible. So, um, I think that's where um, yeah, that's I think that's a real the real nub of the matter there because the one thing I think you know from from our discussions over over time is I know you're a big believer in market forces and uh, you know things working out like commercial forces often allowing things to work out. So part of me was thinking, you know, what's Gray worried about? Like surely the right thing, you know, if someone's trying to make money, uh, they're allowed to make money. And if, if if they can be undercut, they'll be undercut and, well, you know, you know yeah. the rest. But this is not, obviously this is not the case. And, and my experience of the internet is the same as yours in the UK in that, you know, I shop around and get, get the best deal I can. But... I mean, you point out there, this is not the case in the US, so they've got you over a barrel. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I, I, I would just say that I think markets are a particular kind of tool, and 
they're not universally applicable in, in every situation. You just have to think about what situations do, do markets work best under. And for, for a situation where you have to dig up streets and lay cables in the ground, there's a huge startup cost to becoming an internet service provider. The, the, the barrier to entry is so large as to effectively exclude any kind of genuine competition. And that, that can be the problem with the internet. So unless you live in a place that has laws that say, you know, we're going to eventually make sure that all of these cables any company can use and um, figure out a way to make sure that that works for everybody. If, if you don't have that, you just, you can't start up a, com, a competitive uh, internet service provider because you have like... Like, call me when you've dug the roads to every, or t- dug ditches to every house in America and laid fiber optic cable inside of them, right? Like, once you've, once you've done that, let me know, and then you can start up your internet service provider. And I think, yeah. I think the great example of this is, is Google in America, who is starting up an internet service provider, but it is taking years and it is going very slowly. And from everything I read, it is just insanely costly to actually do. And, you know they can only do it in in relatively small cities because of the ability, like having to dig up the roads and and all these other things. Like, can you imagine a city like New York saying, "Okay, we're going to shut down the roads for a few months," as as we allow a whole bunch of companies to lay down competitive cables underneath these streets? I mean, it just can't happen. It's you could. There's almost no way it would ever be worth shutting down New York for something like that. So there are situations under which market forces just cannot possibly work and this is definitely one of them so um it, it's 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 a tricky situation and uh yeah I, ju- I just think again it's it's so it's so hard to explain but I, I mentioned it really briefly in the in the video but um I had a way longer section that I thought I just I had to cut down because I couldn't possibly do it in the allocated time but I, I really think that the best comparison for net neutrality is is not the roads but it is the electrical grid and that we have an electrical grid that in every country in the world, when you, when you plug something in, in your house, the electricity company doesn't have any say over how you're using that electricity on your end. You know, you buy a certain amount of electricity, just like you buy a certain amount of data from your internet service provider. And the electricity company, like, it's none of their business what you do with that. If you're running it, you know, light bulbs or computers or anything else, that's not their, that's not their job, right? <laughs> their job is to just deliver electricity. And it's a similar situation where we have these regulations that don't allow the electricity company to charge you differently for different things in your house because the barrier to entry for starting up an electrical company, building a gigantic power station, running electrical lines all over the country, it's just it's just too big, right? That can never be a competitive market. And even if in theory it could be, we wouldn't want dozens of electrical wires running into everybody's house, only one set of which is ever active at a time because that's the company that people have happened to buy their electricity from. So I, I really think that, that that is the best comparison to what the situation is with the internet and it becomes more understandable about why we have to ensure there are certain protections in this in this area because it's just competition is just never going to happen uh on its own in this environment so and you're thinking and you're treating data like electricity this kind of um uh anonymous same block of stuff that flows in it's a commodity is what it is you know it's you know 
one watt is just as good as as one bit on the internet is 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 my perspective on it. And the electricity I company, the, I guess the difference there though is the electricity company can do deals with the electricity generators. And you know, there's a bit of wheeling and dealing going on there. You know, we'll buy this, we'll buy this many megawatts this year at this price, mm-hmm. etc. Um, and that's kind of, isn't that kind of what the ISPs are starting to do? They're starting to say, "Hang on, let's start doing deals with the people generating the data, Netflix and things like that." But the only way they can monetize data is is the amount of it or the speed of its flow, because it's not like you can do a deal with, with a power station. You can't do that same deal with just the internet well, the, as a whole. The, the the thing that's weird about this, which I, I think it's a strange framing issue, but it's people are talking about Netflix's data, for example, in the United States, taking up a huge amount of, of the bandwidth. Yeah. And I think, but that's that's not Netflix's data. That That is the data that I am trying to download from Netflix with the internet connection that I paid for. Right, like, like you are purchasing access to the internet from your ISP. The very notion that that Netflix is sort of getting in the way is just, or taking up, it, to, yeah, yeah, or flooding, flooding it. Pipes. Right, mm-hmm. it's like Netflix isn't flooding the pipes. People are 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 sucking data out of Netflix with the with the connections that they have paid for. And also, the thing that I find particularly galling about this is that. The, the way the data flows on the internet is that a lot of times it travels like 90% of the way to your house through networks that are just unrelated to the actual person providing you with the internet at the very end, right? So, so they're charging you, right, to just basically get from the street to your front door sometimes where they're like, yeah. oh, suddenly it's a huge problem that we have to deliver this Netflix data. And it's like, hey, guy, this came across a continent sometimes maybe to get to me. And you're telling me that suddenly once it gets to my front door, it's shockingly expensive to, to let it get the last 30 feet. I mean, that's a little, that's a little rich. Um, so, so that's the problem that I have with this this framing of the issue that like Netflix is slowing down the internet when it's it's actually the problem is that that people are are demanding Netflix and this yeah, again but that's like but that's like saying it's not McDonald's fault you know it's the it's the fat Americans buying all the burgers like that's true but McDonald's have created a demand for something that causes a problem and is it not true that sort of Netflix is this you know a very successful company that is selling video data yeah. has suddenly created a demand for something. And that, and then the ISPs have, if if it's causing them all these problems, which is a debate to be had, but let's yeah. say it is let's, causing let's them a problem. Yeah, let's assume it is. They have two choices. They either ramp up the price on the consumers or they go straight to the source of the hamburgers and say, look, if you're going to start putting all these hamburgers in the pipes, you're going to have to pay something for it. Yeah. And that's so, kind of what they've done, isn't it? Yeah, and and here's where again I think that the problem is that the internet just works nothing like out like anything else. The hamburger analogy is is sort of okay for the real world, but again take it take it back to the electricity company to talk about that same same problem, right? Mm. So imagine it's uh, I don't know, it's it's 19 it's the, it's 1920, right? And and we have electricity, we have electric light bulbs, and there's some infrastructure in place that is supplying all the light bulbs across the country with electricity from these electric companies and and the power stations. Yeah. The current situation is a bit like okay, as time goes on, we're inventing more and more electrical doohickeys, right? That we want to plug into the wall, and we have vacuum cleaners and washing machines and all these other kinds of things. 
And the electricity companies, uh, who are in this analogy, are, are the internet service providers, are basically saying that they don't want to build any more infrastructure than the infrastructure that was already there. Yeah, and like so, the wires and yeah, the poles. And all, the, all the wires, the poles, and importantly, the power stations, right? That's what they don't want to build because power stations are big and expensive. Yeah. And so what they do instead is start charging you based on what it is that you want to plug into the wall, forcing everything in all the light bulbs in your house to be dimmer because there's more and more Americans with more and more light bulbs, so we have to make the light bulbs dimmer. Yeah. And <laughs> But the problem here is like, okay, electricity company, I can understand that under some circumstances, if the demand for light bulbs, you know, it went way up faster than you were expecting, people have more electrical devices than you were expecting. Okay, maybe there's some scenario under which you you would theoretically have to do this. But the but the the issue is like as a society, what we want to encourage is we want to encourage you, electrical company, to build more power stations. Right, so yeah. that everybody has more electricity, so that they can do more things with that electricity. Right, like my washing machine, like your computers doing work for you all day long. Society as a whole wants more power, and so what you have to do if you're in a situation where markets don't work, because normally if there's huge demand, right, a market that that's what markets do great is they they, they are able to fill that demand. But if you don't have a situation where markets work. You have to make sure that the regulations encourage creation of new infrastructure. And so if you tell electrical companies, look, we're not going to let you charge uh, different prices just so you don't have to build a power station, you can't do that. You have to make sure that they build more power stations. And so I think that is very analogous to the current situation with the internet service providers is they're whining and moaning about how full their pipes are with all this data from the internet. And all I could think of is, hey, Internet providers, don't you think this is a good sign that people want more internet? And net neutrality is a great kind of regulation that forces them to increase investments in infrastructure. Right? If, they, if they can't start biasing what data they let into your house at what particular speeds, the only solution for them is that they have to start building more infrastructure, which is what you want as a society as a whole. Because in 10, 20 years' time, I think it's a pretty good prediction that actual data going across the internet is going to quintuple in that period of time at the least. So we need to ensure the creation of more infrastructure. We don't want to set up a situation where companies can get away using their same infrastructure forever because they can do this kind of horrible variable pricing and not have to make the investments that we as a society actually want to be made. So that's that's where I think the 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 analogy to other other companies just falls down a little bit is because we want to encourage more pipes and our only tool is is through regulations. Uh, so that's that's why like we have to keep this net neutrality in place because it acts as an incentive to encourage the creation of more infrastructure in addition to just all the fairness issues that come along with net neutrality about biasing one kind of data over another. So that, that's, uh, that's my thoughts on that. Well, if you're going to do it like that, if you're going to be using the law as an instrument to make a commercial company do something, why faff around the edges? Why not just say, all right, you have to do it. You have to build the government, you're saying the government and society is going to make a commercial entity do something they don't want to do, basically. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. 
uh, why not just pass a law then? If you want to keep, if you want to keep the cables, you've got to build more infrastructure. You've got to build more cables. Yeah. Well, this is. I mean, the internet is such an interesting topic because so many countries handle this in in different ways, and in, in some places, the internet is is basically nationalized in, in the same way that that some some countries just they build all the sewer pipes and they build all the internet pipes, and that's just the way it is. Uh, and other countries have more hybrid models. I would say in the U.S., the, the the political sentiment is generally very resistant to having the government directly do things. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying that's right. It depends a lot on the particular situation. Yeah. But but in in America, that you know, Americans generally don't like to expand the scope of government if if they don't have to. So I think. I can't imagine a situation where someone said, "Hey, you know, what would be a great idea. Let's nationalize all the broadband providers." That would not go down well in America. And again, I think nah. I think that might be there might be legitimate reasons why you shouldn't do that in a place like America. I, you know, I can definitely understand that kind of argument. So I'm just looking at that as as a as a certain kind of tool that you have to to try and and basically as as a as a stick move companies in the right direction if you can't control them uh, if you can't control them directly as is just force them to do this thing that, that that they don't necessarily want to do but in America instead the FCC is very likely to turn around and just say oh net neutrality doesn't exist and now your existing business is way more profitable because you can charge both your customers more and the other companies more and you don't have to make huge infrastructure investments just immediately and so it's all very it's all very depressing in America, and I have to say I'm quite glad at the moment anyway to be in the UK where there's actual broadband competition and as the EU, I think it was just last month, EU passed laws guaranteeing that there is net neutrality in the European Union as well. So it's, you know, thumbs up for Europe on internet policy, thumbs down to America. I mean, unless, of course, I'm wrong and the FCC chairman comes out on the 15th and says, I heart net neutrality. Uh, but since he is apparently a former lobbyist who used to work for Comcast, one of the biggest broadband providers, I'm not super hopeful that he's going to come out with a pro net neutrality stance. So it'll be we'll spun as that. it'll be spun as neutral, though. It'll, there'll be a spin to it to make it sound like it's a good thing. But yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they just come straight out and use the same fast lane technology talking point that they're that I see on the news everywhere. You know, oh, we want to encourage the creation of fast lanes on the internet, so blah blah blah. That that's that is kind of if I had to put money on the table, I would I would be fairly willing to bet that you might hear the exact phrase fast lane in the FCC announcement on the 15th. That's that would that would be slightly my prediction. If it um, goes badly or or you know if it goes against how you would like to see it go mm-hmm. what will be the sort of medium term um how how will the problems start to manifest themselves for both people in America but for also you as a youtuber are you do you fear for yourself well i i don't i i can say that i am not concerned for me personally in terms of my career because you know, we, we put our videos up on YouTube and I'm assuming that Google would be able to pay basically like the ransom money that ISPs are asking for to make sure that YouTube comes through the pipes quickly. So yeah. it, I, I think it's a bit of, it's a bit of an overstatement to, to say that you're worried about YouTube because YouTube is, is an entity that is connected to an incredibly powerful and relatively wealthy company. So 
Mm. I, I'm not concerned that YouTube is going to go away. I, I think that the bigger issue is it's just it's um it is stagnation for the internet in the longer term. So I think that that this based on the way the ruling goes, you can expect that internet speeds will continue to just not really grow in America by any significant amount. But I, I think from a customer's perspective, the worst thing is it's for someone who's kind of unaware of these issues, they're not going to notice anything. And if, if the internet service provider is slowing down artificially some websites, they're not going to think, boy, my internet service provider is a total jerk. They're just going to think that some particular websites happen to be really slow and kind of blame those websites precisely because the, the, web, the blessed websites come through really fast. Right? So obviously their internet connection is fast. It just right. so happens that some websites are slow. I think that would end up being the general perception from the population. So I have to say, I mean, but, is it, but then, but then we come down to just like commercial realities of life, like successful, just like everything else in life. If you're successful, you go to the top. Will it not be that way with websites? The, the, the rich websites that can pay the ransom are successful in much the same way that successful airlines that have good marketing campaigns become successful or the food companies that do the best become successful. Is it not fair that, the internet goes the way of everything else in life that the successful rise to the top because in the end they have the means to do it via their success and those that are unsuccessful, um, you know, have to work harder to become successful. Yeah, I mean, I, when you pose it like that, it sounds like this, the status quo in terms of human society. But from my perspective, the most amazing thing about the internet is it is this incredible meritocracy that we have never seen before. And uh, that it just is obviously great that people can start little companies or, or they can just post stuff on the internet. And so many people can see or use that just immediately. And you don't need to pay some kind of gatekeeper to ensure that your new business is able to get the same kind of access as the big boys. Now, I understand that there are, there, there are a, a lot of there are always going to be advantages to players with more money. So YouTube, I, I know, like it does invest in a lot of genuine infrastructure to try to make sure that YouTube in particular is very fast with local data centers and all of these kinds of things. I understand that that, that happens, but it doesn't change the fact that for lots of teeny tiny companies, they can make their website and that, that has whatever service it is. And it can become incredibly popular in a very short period of time. And right now, they don't have to worry about someone knocking on the door and saying, oh, you're using too much of these pipes. That I think that that is just great. It's, it's such a meritocracy, like, really, like we've never seen before in human history. And that, that is my concern, is that losing net neutrality makes it less meritocratic. It, it, it reinforces the power of existing players more. And I, I don't think that that is good. I don't like that kind of influence. And in the but America is it not inevitable? Is it not inevitable that, you know, sure, the internet had this little fairy tale period for a while, but if it's going to survive in a capitalist society, the capitalist world, which a lot of the world is, eventually people are going to get wise and think, well, hang on, <laughs> it, you've, been, you've been immune from the rules of capitalism for too long. It's... Uh, it's time for a reality check. And well, again, you know. it's it's capitalism for who, right? Is capitalism for companies on the internet is nothing but it's nothing but just like the most pure market competition ever. 
you know, people can use different services on the internet. Companies can start up, they compete, they're born, they die. It all happens just an incredible, incredible way on the internet. The yeah. question is, do the people who control the plumbing underneath also get to suddenly compete in also not capitalism, but basically predatory monopoly practices, which is the, the just the shocking dark side of what can happen in capitalism. <laughs> when, you, when, you, when you put it like that, it sounds a bit meaner. It does. <laughs> predatory but, monopoly but, practices. But that's, but that's what it is, right? You, you, you have someone who has monopoly power over infrastructure and is then able to engage in rent-seeking behavior from traffic flowing through those pipes that they have absolutely nothing to do with. There's no argument that there's capitalism happening at the plumbing level, at the level of the actual fibers in the ground. You know, no, no more than it's practical to have capitalism on the level of the roads to your house. It's the same kind of thing. Uh, you, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't give some company the ability to to put toll toll booths on every single road in an entire country and then also charge different rates to different trucks that want to pass through those tolls even if they're the same weight but you know one truck is carrying some goods that the company who controls the toll roads doesn't like you know like that's just crazy and it's not that's not capitalism in any sense of the word so there's two very very different levels here and i think you have just super Super efficient, super interesting market forces on the the level that we interact with, which is nothing but good. But the level beneath it is it is not possible to have that same kind of of level of interaction. Mm -hmm. So, and also, I just have to say here, my concern with the America ruling in particular is it, not so much about the details of this ruling that uh, from our time uh, when we're recording this is going to happen in basically about a week. It's my concern about what I see often in, in particularly in American politics is this is this establishing of a precedent that you can then build upon to make things even worse. So again, I recommend you go to Vihart's video if you want all of the details. But ba but basically, it's like companies have wormed their uh, the ISPs have wormed their way into the situation where they have all of the kind of legal protections that. Uh, what are called common carriers have. They're not responsible for the traffic that flows through their pipes. They, they have all of these, these legal protections, but throughout all of our history, those legal protections have come at particular costs, and now they're trying to work their way out of the costs that we as a society want to impose on them. And, and so it's just, I don't like the precedent it's setting. It's, it, it reminds me of, in America, the kind of, the initial rulings about money is free speech in America. Mm. And I remember being really frowning my face at that. And it was not, it was not because of that particular ruling, but because I thought, man, that ruling is a horrible precedent that allows things to happen later. And that's what we have seen over the years is slowly but surely, once you establish that that money is free speech, there's all sorts of other constraints that you eventually have to take away. Like in America, limits to giving to campaigns. They said like, well, we don't limit how much someone can talk about a candidate. So if money is just like talking, you can't limit how much talking you can do about a, do about a candidate. So we can't limit how much money you can give a candidate either. And that's my concern about the net neutrality ruling is I do not want to give the local internet service providers more power to discriminate either in favor or less in favor of the data that is flowing through their pipes. 
I'm worried about where that goes in, in future steps once you establish this as a precedent that the companies are allowed to have some kind of control about what's flowing through those wires. So that's, think, that's uh, where my concern comes from. One thing I would say, um, that common carrier point, I think, is really key to this. And that is one thing that, I mean, I loved your video, but that's one thing I really took from Vi's video yes, that, yes. That, that, hit, that hit home with me. Like When I sit and formulate any argument uh, you know, for the dark side here and think, well, maybe we don't need net neutrality, as soon as that common carrier issue comes up, the argument falls to pieces. And mm-hmm. I think anyone who Vi's video is, is a bit is quite long 11 minutes I mean not, not long by my standards but it's quite long for a YouTube video um, but if you stick with Vi's video and get to that common carrier part that's a real that's yeah. a real killer issue yeah definitely- we, won't, we won't spoil anything here but one of the examples she uses is um, which I think is very uh, illustrative is um, airlines are classified as common carriers yes and what that means is that an airline airlines have to sell tickets to just whoever is buying airline tickets. They're not allowed to discriminate against employees of one particular company or another particular company. And one of the benefits of being a common carrier is that you're not responsible for whatever the people are doing with your airplane transportation. So if if people are using your airplane to commit a crime, they're getting from one location to another location that they need to, you as the airplane company are not responsible for that. Yeah. And this actually originally came up from, um, I wanted to mention this point, but this came up when I was doing some of my research was originally this came from telegraph companies in the United States. And the, the whole idea of the common carrier came from there, which was that telegraph companies were accepting money to duplicate messages that um, one company was sending and send their messages to their competitor who was paying to hear all of the correspondence that that their their competitor was up to. So basically paying to wiretap their telegraphs. And Mm. the telegraph companies made the argument saying, well, these are our wires, right? We we built this telegraph network. We can do whatever we want. And if that if that means if someone is willing to pay us to send them a copy of all the communications from a particular individual, if we think that's a good business idea, we can totally do that, right? And the court stepped in and said, no, you cannot do that. You have yeah. to treat all of these messages the same. And that's the very that's the very notion of a of a common carrier. And that's that's the same kind of rule to apply to the internet is to say, like, you are a common carrier of data. And the, one of the benefits of that means, like, again, if, if people were using the Telegraph to plan their bank robbery, you, the Telegraph company, are not complicit in that. You were not helping them conspire because you just yeah. have to treat all the messages the same. That's the benefit yeah. that you, the Telegraph company, get. So, yeah, it's the, the common carrier thing is, is uh, in, the com- in the petitions that we have to the FCC, you're supposed to use this phrase to say, like, we would like you to classify internet service service providers as a class two common carrier in the United States, which comes with all of these kinds of responsibilities, um, but also these these freedoms from being complicit in what's actually traveling through your network. I would think if you're an internet service provider, you know, you don't want to be responsible for anything going through those pipes because it's just terrifying, right? What people <laughs> might actually be doing on the internet. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's they enjoy that. The they issue. enjoy that cloak of protection, but they don't want to toe the line in some other aspects of it. So. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Well, hopefully next time we talk about this 
we'll be talking about, oh, it wasn't as bad as we thought, but you don't sound hopeful. I, I am not optimistic is what, is what I would say. But it's, it's, it's because I look at the structure of the way that this was set up. You know, the FCC is not, it is not a democratic body. You can't, you don't elect people to the FCC. They're just appointed. And, you know, they don't necessarily have any, any meaningful accountability to the general public. And so I have a tiny glimmer of hope in that they, they pre-announced their announcement. They said, oh, we are going to announce something about the net neutrality rulings on the 15th. Yeah. In the meantime, we're opening it up to uh, public inquiry. They were taking the temperature. That, that, is, that is my only glimmer of hope is, is that they wanted to see, okay, how riled are people going to be about this? My hope is that they felt there was there was enough rilement to warrant maybe not doing what they were going to do. Mm-hmm. I actually I was tracking. I used a URL tracker to see how many people clicked on the link in my video to go to the FCC, and yeah. of course I can't know how many people filled in the form, which the FCC goes way out of its way to scare you into not doing, and it makes it super user unfriendly. But uh, at the time of the recording, about 50,000 people at least clicked the link in my video to go to the FCC page. So, mm, I reckon one in 100 at best. Yeah, that's, kind of, that's slightly my guess as well, is maybe one in 100 would fill out the actual form. But you know, I, can't, I can't know that. I, do, I, I don't know what the results are. But I am not optimistic. I, you know, I, I expect the FCC to just have some, some opening line in their statement about how we really listened to what you said and everybody said they wanted a better internet. And so what our, our regulation changes today are to encourage a better internet with new fast lanes for you to get you know, the content that you want as fast as it can be delivered. And yeah, that's, that's basically what I expect to well, talk about next time. So I, I, like- I really hope I'm wrong, but mm. I'm not optimistic. I feel a bit like I didn't give you much of a hard time and make you duck and wave, but that's because I think this is a no-brainer. Yeah, there is there is no other side to this issue. Yeah, yeah, and yet and yet it might not work out. I will. I'll, there are a couple of things off topic though. I think I, we should point out as we wrap things up. Yeah, I have an admission to make at the end here, Gray. Yeah, I mean you knew beforehand that I wasn't very well, and I, you know, I wasn't feeling a hundred percent, but well enough to do the podcast. Mm-hmm. I've now realized I've recorded the whole thing on my built-in microphone on the computer and not my big posh microphone. Oh, I was asking you about the microphones in the beginning. (laughs) All right, well, we have to retroactively apologize to the people for your terrible audio quality then. I'm sorry, man. I'm apologizing to you as well. I feel really bad. I I realized about 15 minutes ago and... It feels really bad. Don't worry. This stuff, this stuff is bound to happen eventually. So sooner or later, I will, I will be doing the whole thing, talking into my laptop microphone, and I'll sound terrible one day. So don't worry. It's, it's bound to happen. you know what the happen. funny thing was? This was the first time I didn't do the backup recording onto the, my camera with a radio mic as well. It was the first time I said, I'm not doing it. Yeah, no, of course. That's when this was going to happen. So don't worry. It's, it's really no issue. Are you mad at me? Are you I, mad? I don't, even, I don't even understand how I would be mad. Mm, gosh, I can understand. Can I put one last thing out there about net neutrality as well? Yeah, yeah, what? In much the same way that I think copyright infringement is the wrong term, I think net neutrality is bad PR. Oh, God, yeah. It's a really, it's a, I mean, it couldn't be a more neutral, uh, less provocative term if it tried. It's even got the word neutral in it. 
Yeah. Like, they, they, that was a mistake by, or, or a genius, depending on who came up with it. Uh, Tim it, Wu from Stanford uh, came up with that in 2002, I believe. But, and is he is he pro the neutrality or is he against it? He's pro, isn't he? He is pro net neutrality. And I, well, I, he should have called it something different then, because that's well, a if, terrible thing to have called it. Yes, but if if I can just just point out, I skimmed through the original paper uh, that that came across this term, and the paper was just a technical paper talking yeah. talking about uh, a, a particular property of of certain networks. This was well before this ever became a, a political issue. So yeah. This this was not like someone was trying to coin a term for a political debate. Someone was just trying to have a, a useful technical term to describe certain kinds of networks. And wow. in that circumstance, net neutrality is is a great term. But I completely agree with you. And I mean, I, I've in in discussions online and in real life with people, I've I have found that everybody has a hard time with this term, even people who are technically oriented very easily ha- run into this issue of, am I for net neutrality or am I against net neutrality? Yeah, and yeah. in my own video, if you, I only say net neutrality, I think three times. And in both, or in all those times, I very intentionally tried to structure the sentence so that it was super clear that you should be for this. Right? So mm-hmm. I, like the end, it, the video ends with defend net neutrality and I think it starts with a, you know an important part of the way the internet works is net neutrality, but for most of the video, I I went with I was thinking about you know what could I say instead, and I I was using the term data equality. I was I, I was trying to come mm. up with something that's better. Yeah, that is a bit better. It's not. It's still not. It still doesn't grab me by the throat the way that freebooting does. But well. Uh, but I think that is a better term. That was the best I could come up with, and also it needs like fair, maybe fairness. Can I can I point out something but... just slightly here? The more I think about freebooting, the less I like it. I, I hate to tell you this, baby, but <laughs> the more I think about freebooting, the less I like it. And I I can't remember who it was because we're just doing this now. But somebody proposed the alternative viewjacking, which I the more I think about it, I'm way more in favor of the term viewjacking than freebooting. So I don't that don't mean to sounds too much like some rubbish sort of. 80s movie like you I, know, I, I know what you're saying and view jackers i don't mean to split the vote on this just so briefly after you made it into the urban dictionary and and we're going to try to get you into the oxford english dictionary but the more i think about it i think freebooting has the same kind of thing which is oh am i for freebooting i like free stuff and the date the, that net neutrality has which is again like oh am i for the neutral thing or am i against the neutral thing it's just, it is it is not a good term Politically and yeah, data equality is not the greatest, but it's better. Data mm. fairness? I don't know. Maybe we yeah. can ask the listeners if they're still listening, since we're just rambling on now. What terms yeah. they think would be better than net neutrality? So, and if they can hear a word I'm saying on this microphone, I apologize, <laughs> listeners. I apologize, Gray. Um, I wasn't well, and I set my computer up incorrectly, and I will be punishing myself you know what we should talk about next time what checklists i have a lot of checklists you need a checklist